நமோ தசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவோசாவ
being unrestrained, a lack of restraint in terms of the the, the, the six senses. That's uh, you know seeing something that you like, then chasing after it, or seeing uh, seeing something you dislike, then you know rejecting it or complaining about it. And so resp- responsivity is uh, giving a bit more space around the the field of sensory activity. So non-restraint of the sense faculties too, I say, has a nutriment. It is not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment for non-restraint of the sense faculties? It should be said, lack of mindfulness and clear comprehension. Sati Sampajanya. Lack of mindfulness and clear comprehension too, I say, has a nutriment. It's not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment for lack of mindfulness and clear comprehension? It should be said, careless attention. Ayoni so manasikara. Careless attention too, I say, has a nutriment. It is not without a nutriment. And what is the nutriment for careless attention? It should be said, lack of faith. Lack of faith, too, I say, has a nutriment. It's not without nutriment. What is the nutriment for lack of faith? It should be said, not hearing the good Dhamma. Not hearing the good Dhamma, too, I say, has a nutriment. It is not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment for not hearing the good Dhamma? It should be said, not associating with good persons. Sapurisa Sangseva is associating with good people. Thus, not associating with good persons, becoming full, fills up hearing, not hearing the good Dhamma. Not hearing the good Dhamma, becoming full, fills up lack of faith. Lack of faith, becoming full, fills up careless attention. Careless attention, becoming full, fills up lack of mindfulness and clear comprehension. Lack of mindfulness and clear comprehension, becoming full, fills up non-restraint of the sense faculties. Non-restraint of the sense faculties, becoming full, fills up three kinds of misconduct. Three kinds of misconduct, becoming full, fill up the five hindrances, and the five hindrances, becoming full, fill up ignorance. Thus there is nutriment for ignorance, and in this way it becomes full. Just as when it is raining, and the rain pours down in thick droplets on a mountaintop, the water flows down along the slope and fills the clefts, the gullies and creeks, these becoming full, fill up the pools, these becoming full, fill up the lakes, these becoming full, fill up the streams, these becoming full, fill up the rivers, these becoming full, fill up the great ocean. Thus there is nutriment for the great ocean, and in this way it becomes full. And so uh, <coughs> then he uh, goes through the whole process the other way. Uh, I say, because that true knowledge and liberation have a nutriment, they're not without nutriment. What is the nutriment for true knowledge and liberation? It should be said, the seven factors of enlightenment. The seven factors of enlightenment, too, I say, have a nutriment. They are not without nutriment. What is the nutriment for the seven factors of enlightenment? It should be said, the four establishments, the four foundations of mindfulness. The four establishments of mindfulness, too, I say, have a nutriment. They are not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment for the four establishments of mindfulness? It should be said, the three kinds of good conduct. And then from there on, it's the reverse of all those other qualities. So sense restraint, uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension, uh, having having faith, listening to the good Dhamma, and uh, at the very root of what is beneficial, uh, that whole string of ten qualities is, uh, I should uh, I say, hearing the good Dhamma has a nutriment, it is not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment for hearing the good Dhamma? It should be said, associating with good persons. Um, so uh, I feel this is a very, very significant teaching, and it says that essentially... Uh, that the best way of uh, depriving ignorance of its fuel is to keep company with good people. So, so uh, a place like Amravati is a kind of good uh, good companionship camp, I would say, hopefully. <laughs> that it's a deliberate uh, setup to draw close to, to good-hearted and uh, like-minded people who are dedicated to uh, simplicity, honesty, harmlessness, and uh, and such like. And so... It's a, um, a, a, a an Avija um, dissolution camp. <laughs> That's what these uh, these places are for. Going on a meditation retreat and and uh, being part of Buddhist groups, meditation groups. It's as ways of drawing close to good people, satpurisa, uh, as a, a way of, in a way, putting all the odds in our, our favor to to live in a, in a, a way that conduces to true knowledge and liberation. So that's Sutta. Uh, number 61 in the Book of the Tens, and uh, that's uh, uh, spelled out in some... I talk about that in some detail in that that particular chapter in, in the other book, Catastrophe, Apostrophe. So um, that uh, is um, very significant. And the next sutta um, is very, very similar, And uh, but the Buddha says, says um, because it is said, a first point of craving for existence, now Bhava Tanha, 
is not seen, such as before this there was no craving for existence, and afterwards it came into being. Still, craving for existence is seen to have a specific condition. And um, uh, it, uh, it's similarly, it says, I say that craving for existence has a nutriment, it is not without nutriment. And what is a nutriment for craving for existence? It should be said, ignorance. <laughs> and then it follows through in exactly the same way as the previous sutta. So I just wanted to share that with everyone, as I'm particularly fond of that that sutta, and I feel it's uh, it's one of those um, teachings related to where, uh, the you know the Buddha specifying you know why um, good companionship, good friends, kalyanamitta are so important, and also uh, related to that is the opening uh, verse of the uh, the Mangala Sutta, the, the the discourse on the highest blessings. Not to associate with fools, but to associate with the wise. This is the highest blessing. So it's got literally number one on the list of uh, of the high, the sources of, of blessings and um, the, uh, bringing mangala, the kind of wholesome influences into one's life, is uh, not associating with foolish people and drawing close to, to good people. So it's one of those um, sort of. Uh, significant themes that we have in, in the Buddhist tradition, Buddhist practice, and it's spelled out in most detail uh, in that, that particular sutta number 61 of the Book of the Tens. The following passage addresses both ignorance and craving as root causes. Because for the fool, obstructed by ignorance and bound by craving, this body has thereby originated. As a result, there is this pair of conditions, of body and external name and form. Dependent on this pair, there is contact by way of only uh, six sense bases. The full contacts by way of these six sense bases, or by way of one among them, and thus experiences pleasure and pain. The interconnection between the factors of dependent origination corresponds to the connections collectively known as the 24 supports, the Pachaya, uh, following the, uh, the explanation in the Abhidhamma. Moreover, each factor can be expanded upon. For example, consciousness or the mind can be analyzed according to its quality, as wholesome or unwholesome, its level and its destination in a particular state of existence. Similarly, form, rupa, can be analyzed according to different types, properties and states of existence. It doesn't seem necessary here to present these 24 supports or the elaborate details for each factor. Readers who take special interest may investigate these matters directly in the Abhidharma texts. So um, that uh, when we do the, the funeral chanting, the, the chant that begins, Heitu Pachayo, Aramana Pachayo, that's the, the 24 um, uh, say conditions or the conditional relations they're called, the Pachayas. So um, these 12 links... Uh, there's 24 different ways that they can be one can be connected with with another, and this uh, particular section of the Abhidhamma goes into great exhaustive detail about how those patterns of conditioning and interrelationship function. And I think it's very politely put here. You know, those who have a special interest in that can go look at the Abhidhamma book. But it's the it's very the Pali words are hard to understand, and the the English translations of them are equally hard to follow exactly what they they mean or what they're, they're pointing to. So it's uh, it's a, a tricky um, set of explanations. Um, there was uh, in the uh, before we we gutted the um, the the former bookstore and sewing room and, and that building and turned it into the new library. There was a, a um, a poster that had been created with like graphic representations of all 24 of the conditional relations. I probably got tidied away somewhere carefully. It was it was, it was sort of posted up on the uh, it was sort of, it was posted up on the wall in in I think in the in the bookstore. I thought, well, that's interesting. Someone's actually gone to the trouble of illustrating these 24 conditional relations and with little little uh, explanations for each one. Um, and so I took note of it. So, oh, that's interesting. I'll have to take a look at that one day. But I have no idea where it got put. So Juan, as the librarian, might have a clue. Of that. Ah, I know where they got put, Ajahn. But uh, uh, other than Juan, maybe um, Tan Nidero, who was looking after the bookstore in the, those days, he might know where that was. But uh, if you are particularly interested, that the that graphic representation is probably a little more accessible um, it was done by somebody in Malaysia. I remember that, but uh, I hadn't seen it before, and I thought, oh, that's, 
uh, interesting exercise to have, have gone into. So um, <clears throat> that uh, their uh, explanations that are to, designed to be user friendly do exist, but um, it's uh, suffice to say that, uh, uh, and it was mentioned with the, with the previous in the previous book that. When it says avicca pachaya sankara sankara pachaya vinyana and so on, that pachaya can have it can be any one of those twenty-four different ways that they are that these different factors, these different um, uh, say parts of the of the process can link with each other in in, uh, in various different ways, and so that it's not A creates B, B creates C, C creates D um, in a, a direct relationship. But there's quite a lot of nuance and um, uh, and the you know, subtle qualities there, or, or d- different aspects to that connection. So really, the pachaya means is affected by, or is connected with, or has a, a relationship with. It doesn't mean A causes B, B causes C. It's not a sort of simple linear causal process in, in exactly that sort of simple and and um, uh, uh, say in, uh, they're not just connected in the same way one uh, thing to another, but they're connected in a variety of ways. But any questions on any of that? The uh, that the uh, the raindrops falling on the mountain, Sutta, and uh... yes. Lots of suborbits and sub-suborbits. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's one of the reasons I think why the Buddha, when Ananda said to to the Buddha, you know, the dependent origination is as clear as clear can be, and the Buddha said, yeah, not so, Ananda. Don't say that. It's, it, this is really so complex and intricate. Also, um, dur- during the period after the Buddha's enlightenment, you know, it's described how he spent a, a long time going through dependent origination in the the Anuloma, the Patiloma, and then both Anuloma and Patiloma, kind of forwards and backwards, you know, the, over and over and over, just you know, f- f- tracking the whole process through piece by piece and and uh, uh, exploring those different in- interconnections and relationships. It's also one of the things, there's a, there's a, a helpful sutta, uh, it's a dialogue, I think, between the... Um, uh, uh, See the um, uh, there's a, a dialogue in the the Maha, I think it's the Mahavedala Sutta the the greatest section greatest discourse on questions and answers in the Majjhima Nikaya and uh, w- one of the questions um, is uh, are feeling perception and consciousness are they conjoined or are they disjoined and then the answer is that. Um, they are they're they're conjoined. They're not disjoined because that which we feel, we perceive; that which we which we perceive, we cognize. And you can't really divide them up from each other. So that they're when we talk about the feeling or perception or, or consciousness and and such like, they they are they overlap. You can't really draw that. The 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 uh, the word kanda literally means a, a lump or a heap or a group. So it's a, it's a re, it's deliberately a rough division. It's like. We kind of draw the line there, <laughs> but it's, it's a rough, it's a, it's a broad brushed de- uh, designation, and that uh, you know things overlap. It's like with the um, uh, with, with you know the five kundas. You can say all of them are really perception because you can't know rupa. You can't know the body unless it's through 
feeling the body or seeing the body or hearing the body or you know or sensations through the body so you know you could really say that all of the five khandas are just different kinds of perception or they or different kinds of consciousness you know so that it's a a a um a broad brush way of describing a, a kind of a, an easy set of references, uh, and I feel that that's very helpful because sometimes, with in terms of sort of philosophy, or people trying to pin everything down, that you know this is in this category and it's not in that category, and that's where this category begins, and that one that's where that category ends, and there's a, this sharp line between the two, and the uh, and then in that particular teaching, it, it's not the Buddha; it's between them. Um, I think it's between a, an arahant nun and her former husband, Visaka, <laughs> uh, that the, the dialogue's going on. And, um, and it's, uh, it's like, you know, you can't really make a, 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 a rigid designation because that which you feel, you perceive, that which you perceive, you cognize. And so it's, it's like a rough, uh, definition. And so that I wouldn't spend too much time trying to pin down all the, the exact way in which things sort of interrelate and interreact, and and some of the the, the passages are or passages I've left out is sort of some of the diagrams for Noor Payuto is coming up with, and and this sort of logical <laughs> uh, um, uh, diagrams with boxes and arrows between them, which I'm, I tend to be quite fond of as well. But it's just you can start to try and make sense of it, and you just your mind starts spinning like what? Huh? How does that? Is that referring to this, or how does that match with that? And and it can just lead to more and more confusion. So I think that the the Buddha referring to the five khandas, you know, there's these five basic you know, rough chunks that these are the big slices, and these are the small the, the the smaller slices. This is the this is the 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 broken bricks, and this is the the big you know, this is the, the 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 smaller stones. Here is the the rough sand. Here is the fine sand, and here is the very fine sand. You know, you've got these different kinds of uh, of material and um you can draw a, a rough line between them at this kind of an area but they 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 do intermingle and they they overlap and so uh i think his whole approach of rather than trying to pin down absolutely precise philosophical definitions uh he keeps going to um the the say well this is a, a, a manner of speaking or this is a way of talking about it and so sometimes the teachings just like we were having the conversation yesterday sometimes how come sanya isn't there in dependent origination well in other lists it is and and and, and how come papancha isn't in dependent origination or vitaka they're not conceptual thought or, or proliferation it's like well in a different circumstance he was talking in, in that way and that was a useful set of term, uh, terms to use um, in that circumstance and he, in a different circumstance he uses a whole different set of terms and so that uh, that uh, in a way that you knowing that language is being used and terminology is being used according to the time the place the situation who who the, who's been talked to uh, and then it, it, bearing in mind it's a it's a convenient fiction it's it's a, it's a rough designation and the point is to map that onto as best one can to one's own mind, one's own experience, and say, okay, what's that referring to? How does that work? And then, um, uh, rather than trying to come up with the perfect conceptual map, just have a good enough map <laughs> that helps the the uh, the mind to recognize uh, the basic processes of how attachment or clinging takes shape around one particular area and how that can be. Uh, let let go of and and then the result of that is dukkha coming to an end. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, you're a doctor. So how many bodies have you have you examined that look exactly like they do in the textbooks? Probably zero. <laughs> And all the, the you know the the veins and nerves are not labelled and not neatly laid out. You know, with <laughs> it's messy. It's uh, it's individual. And so yeah, you, the textbooks are useful to say okay, there's you know there's three nerves running through here, or there's a large there's an artery here and a couple of veins there. And then you know you're looking into someone. And think, oh, that's interesting. They've got four of them. There's only supposed to be three. Okay, <laughs> I don't know what that one is, but let's let's check that out and see because. It's a uh, you know, real life is not 
doesn't function according to the textbooks. It's also why uh, many in, in Thailand in particular, there's not a lot of respect for the Abhidhamma amongst the forest ajans. You get more in Sri Lanka or in, in Burma, there's a lot more uh, of a close association, but I think because of that, the Abhidhamma tries to put everything into neat, bo- neat boxes and categorizes everything and makes it all into like a perfectly uh, consistent logical system. It, it's not messy enough. <laughs> it, and so that uh, very few of the, uh, of the, the forest ajans and people uh, who practice within the, the, the forest tradition in Thailand, they, they don't refer to Abhidhamma very much because it's, it's a, um, in a way, it's too tidy. It's too neat. It does. It's just, life doesn't work that way. It's uh, it's much rougher and messier and uh, untidy. And so that uh, uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa put it very very succinctly. He said, "Abhi means much, too much." <laughs> <laughs> and somebody asked him about why he didn't teach Abhidhamma. But he had, you know, he's, he has a sort of brilliantly comprehensive knowledge of uh, of the teachings, but generally speaking, in in Thailand, it's, it's, it's amongst the 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 great sort of meditation um, teachers and the those who have um, uh, a reputation for for great high, you know, high levels of of realization, that the uh, Abhidhamma is not much referred to. Yeah, so having a a good enough map to get us where we want to go is that's, that's what we need. Otherwise, you end up with a map the same size as the territory. Like the perfect map of the UK is the size of the UK. <laughs> doesn't really uh, doesn't really help because this is there's too much detail. There's too much you know things that uh, are kind of inconveniently complicated. So to carry on. The section on causal factors corresponds to origin, samudaya, in the Four Noble Truths, because these factors are the agents of suffering. The section on results corresponds with suffering, dukkha, in the Four Noble Truths. There are three links, sandhi, between cause, hetu, and effect, pala. Uh, the first cause-effect link, hetu, pala, sandhi. The effect-cause link, pala, hetu, sandhi. And three, the second cause-effect link, Hetupala Sandhi. So the next chapter is called Application in Everyday Life. So we, we step down from the, the a lot of the theoretical concerns and come more to um, you know, everyday descriptions. The previous explanations are the traditional orthodox explanations. They're found in the commentaries and have been passed down through the ages. These explanations emphasize the round of rebirth, samsara-vata, the passing from one life to another. They demonstrate the connection between three lifetimes, the past, the present, and the future, and they've been developed into a fixed, strictly defined system. Some people are not content with these explanations and wish to define dependent origination in the context of everyday life. They cite explanations in the Abhidhamma and the commentaries that describe the entire sequence of dependent origination arising in a single moment. Uh, Also, that you find in the suttas, there's um, quite... Uh, more often than not, uh, the, the descriptions of dependent origination refer to the, the momentary experience. And uh, there's actually a whole chunk of the uh, Abhidhamma, the Samoha Vinodani, uh, which is about, uh, talking about dependent origination as a single moment um, process. They can draw upon the same scriptural passages referred to in the Orthodox explanations to support their own interpretation. Moreover, they can find evidence in other texts to substantiate their claims. As will be seen below, the alter- this alternate explanation has interesting and distinctive features. There are many justifications for this alternate explanation. For example, the end of suffering for an arahant occurs in this very life. He or she does not need t- to die first in order to achieve this state of peace. An arahant is not reborn. There is no aging, death, sorrow, lamentation, etc. in a future life. Even in this life, an arahant experiences no sorrow, lamentation, etc. The complete cycle of dependent origination in relation to the arising or ceasing of suffering occurs in the present time. One need not trace back to a previous life or wait for a future life. And whenever one understands the presently occurring cycle, one also understands the cycles incorporating the past and future, because these respective cycles are all essentially the same. 
The following teachings by the Buddha are referred to as corroboration for this alternative interpretation. And, and as I've mentioned before, the, um, the um, teachers like uh, Lumpur Cha and uh, Lumpur Buddha Dasa, they um, very much emphasize the understanding or the application of the, the dependent origination cycle as a, a um, uh, as being most useful and as beneficial as a teaching in terms of uh, its momentary mode rather than over many lifetimes. And this is the um, the Buddha speaking to um, Udayin. This is from the middle length discourses. First of all, Udayin, if someone should rec- recollect his manifold past lives, then either he might ask me a question about the past, uh, or I might ask him a question about the past, and he might satisfy my mind with his answer to my question, or I might satisfy his mind with my answer to his question. If someone with a divine eye should see beings passing away and reappearing, then either he might ask me a question about the future, or I might ask him a question about the future, and he might satisfy my mind with his answer to my question, or I might satisfy his mind with my answer to his question. But let be the past, Udayin, let be the future. I shall teach you the Dhamma. When this exists, that comes to be. With the arising of this, that arises. When this does not exist, that does not come to be. With the cessation of this, that ceases. So the Buddha is explicitly saying, don't think about the past or the future, pay attention to the present. And then what he spells out in the present is that uh, the essence of the idapachayata, um, uh, that, that uh, process of conditionality that is the, the very core of dependent origination. So he's literally saying, don't think about the past, don't think about the future, pay attention to this, and this is dependent origination. <laughs> And then the next one uh, is from the Sangyutta. This is the Buddha speaking to Bhadraka. Bhadraka, the headman, approached the Blessed One, paying homage to him, sat down to one side and said to him, It would be good, Venerable Sir, if the Blessed One would teach me about the origin and the passing away of suffering. Buddha responds, If, headman, I were to teach you about the origin and passing away of suffering with reference to the past, saying, So it was in the past, quote-unquote, Perplexity and uncertainty about that might arise in you. And if I were to teach you about the origin and the passing away of suffering with reference to the future, saying, so it will be in the future, quote-unquote, perplexity and uncertainty about that might arise in you. Instead, headman, while I'm sitting right here and you are sitting right there, I will teach you about the origin and passing away of suffering. And then the last one here is... um, uh, well, not, uh, the next one is uh, the Buddha speaking to Sivaka. Some feelings, Sivaka, arise originating from bile disorders, some from phlegm disorders, some from wind disorders, some from a combination of causes. So these are some of the, uh, in the understanding in the Buddha's time of illnesses that are coming from the, the imbalances of the humors, so bile and phlegm and, and uh, so on and so forth. Originating from wind disorders, in, uh, originating from a combination of causes. Some, uh, <clears throat> some feelings are produced by a change of climate. Some are produced by irregular exercise. Some are caused by assault. Some are produced as a result of karma. How feelings arise originating from the aforementioned causes, one can know for oneself. And that is considered to be true in the world. Now when those ascetics and Brahmins hold such a doctrine and view as this, Whatever feeling a person experiences, whether it be pleasant or painful, all that is caused by what was done in the past, they overshoot what one knows by oneself, and they overshoot what is considered to be true in the world. Therefore I say that this is wrong on the part of those ascetics and Brahmins. So, uh, um, uh, as I was saying a couple of days ago, that the, the causes of what we experience in this moment, you have the different niyamas, the the Utunuyama, uh, the, the laws of, of physics and chemistry, or Utu literally means the weather. Bijaniyama, the laws of biology and uh, evolution and so forth. Uh, and then uh, uh, Kamaniyama, uh, action and its results. And then Jitaniyama, the laws of psychology and how the mind works. And then Dhammaniyama, the basic fundamental laws of the, uh, the condition and the unconditioned and the laws of cause and effect. And so that um, the Buddha is saying that you know, if someone says that all feeling, uh, everything that we feel, everything that we experience in the present is the result of something that was done in the past, they overshoot. They're kind of uh, they're 
overemphasizing the Kama Niyama and ignoring the other Niyamas. And then the last one, this uh, teaching comes from the Sangyutta as well, the connected discourses. Because what one intends, what one pays attention to, and what one thinks about, this becomes a basis for the maintenance of consciousness. When there is a basis, there is a support for the establishing of consciousness. When consciousness is established and come to growth, there is the production of future renewed existence. When there is the production of future of renewed existence, future birth, aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, lamentation, pain, grief and despair come to be. Such is the origin of this whole mass of suffering. Although the alternative explanation of dependent origination has distinctive features, it does, not, it does not abandon the definitions contained in the standard exposition. Therefore, to understand the alternative explanation, it's useful to define the factors of dependent origination in this context in a way that is consistent with the standard exposition. So then he goes through the, the definitions of the 12 factors once again. But before I go on to that, any questions thoughts about those sutta quotations and any unclarities? Yes. Um, the, the sutta you spoke about uh, was saying that uh, to say that all feelings come from uh, past actions mm-hmm. as opposed to shinto. And it lists things like bile disorder and wounding disorder. And then uh, you also mentioned these uh, what you pronounce it? Niyamas? Niyamas, yeah. Um, but those are the armors, um, that's not within the um, sutras, is it? That's uh, commentarial. Um, they, to, well, this is this is one of the um, uh, you know, the, the the list of the of the five niyamas doesn't occur in a kind of a neat list of five, but uh, in the suttas. Um, but you find them referred to in different places, and so they're sort of compiled together as a list of five from different sources. And this particular sutta is um, one of the ones that uh, is sort of uh, referred to as, or, or uh, as a, a um, listing some of those uh, of the five. It, uh, again, a ton, um, an ajo very helpfully put together a whole sort of compilation of sources for the. For the five niyamas in the, the little booklet called "Who Is Pulling the Strings?" So, not that I want to blow my own trumpet. Well, actually, it wasn't me. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll blow Tananejo's trumpet because he did a great job, sort of combing through lots of uh, of, uh, of different uh, books of, of suttas and, and such like, and um, and compiled a number of sources, both from the suttas and also from the commentaries, and and so and that's all there in a in an appendix at the, at the back of the. Who is pulling the strings? And they, it spells out some of the different sources where the the the, the different niyamas are, are mentioned. And so, yeah, so it was a so put together out of convenience, and um, uh, uh, and so they're often referred to as a group of five. But it's one of those those um, those things you don't actually get a, a systematic list like you do for like seven factors of enlightenment or the four foundations of mindfulness and such like that. You don't find that that list itself in the suttas. Okay, so once again, uh, um, uh, probably most of you have been coming along to these every day could recite the entire 12 links. You won't be tested, but uh, I suspect that uh, it's getting getting very, very familiar by now. So, number one, avicca, ignorance, lack of knowledge, an absence of wisdom, not seeing the truth, being misled by conventional reality, ignorance inherent in certain beliefs, non-understanding of causality. Two, sankara, volitional activities, thoughts, intentions, deliberations, and decisions. To direct one's thoughts and to seek agreeable sense impressions that correspond with one's temperament, proclivity, that's your inclination or your tendencies, abilities, beliefs, and opinions, the fashioning of the mind, thoughts and actions by habitual tendencies. So, sankhara, the, the etymology of the word, uh, literally means t- to make or to compound. Sang means together or, or, or grouped. Like sangha, these are the, uh, the an assembly of um, uh, sangvasa, a particular lineage of, of um, in a spiritual tradition. So, and then kara is related to karoti, to make. So that which is made together or compounded. 
so fashioning um, is um, uh, a um, uh, in, in terms of things that have been fashioned or put together or formed the fashioning of the mind, thoughts and actions by habitual tendencies vinyana, consciousness the awareness of sense impressions, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, tangibles and mental objects and the awareness of one's particular state of mind Number four, Namarupa, mind and body, the elements of materiality and mentality within the process of cognition. The coordination by all components of uh, the body and mind conforming to the arisen state of consciousness. The progression and alteration of physical and mental factors in accord with the particular state of mind. Also, um, there was one, uh, back in the early days, uh, uh, one translator, I think it was Neumann, uh, translated Nama Rupa as subject and object, and so that the um, the Nama side being the subject and the Rupa being the object. Um, that's that's an, an unusual rendering, but it's uh, mind and body, um, name and form. Nama also, like our English word name, is related to Nama. So name and and form is uh, is also quite common. They are all different renderings or translations of, of Nama Rupa. Number five, Salayatana, the six sense bases, the functioning of the associated sense bases in accord with specific circumstances. Number six, Pasa, contact, cognition of sense objects, the connection between consciousness and the outside world. Vedana, seven, feeling, the sensation of pleasure, pain, or neither pain nor pleasure. Eight, Tanha, craving, desire, a yearning for pleasant sensations and an aversion to painful sensations. The wish to obtain, become, or sustain particular states of mind, or the wish for extinction and annihilation, to not feel, to not not be. Number nine, upadana, attachment, grasping, clinging to pleasant or unpleasant sensations, engaging with and attaching to things that provide such sensations. This attachment leads to an evaluation of things according to how they support or gratify craving. Number ten, bhava, process of becoming. The entire range of behavior in response to craving and grasping, kamma bhava, the active process, and the subsequent condition of life, uh, conforming to craving, grasping, and personal behavior. Jati, birth, the arising of self-perception as existing, or not existing, in a particular state of life, to occupy this existence and to adopt the corresponding behavior by affirming this existence and behavior as one's own. Jaramarna, aging and death, decay and death, the awareness that one will be separated from this state of existence. The feeling of being threatened by the loss and decay of such an existence. As a consequence, people experience the entire range of suffering, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, stress, annoyance, depression, disappointment, anxiety, etc. So um, so this is uh, so mapping uh, those uh, the 12 links onto more momentary experience and uh, the arising of particular perceptions or thoughts or moods and uh, and what goes with that and then he goes into a um, detailed explanation of the um, relationship between these these various factors Preliminary explanation of the relationship between factors. 1. Ignorance conditions volitional formations. Because of not knowing the truth and not wisely investigating different situations, people create various mental fabrications. They speculate, fantasize, and conceptualize in terms of established beliefs, inhibitions, and habits, and they then determine how to speak and act. So basically, because of ignorance, we tend to believe our opinions, believe our thoughts, we tend to uh, take ourselves to be uh, the permanently existent separate individual beings. That's all the basis of of that of of self view and uh, and believing in opinions and and um, the uh, say the uh, the judgments that the mind makes as being absolutely valid and reliable. Two volitional formations condition consciousness. When there is intention or the determination to engage with something, consciousness arises to see, to hear, to smell, to taste, to feel, to think about that thing. In particular, intention induces conscious awareness to acknowledge and think about the desired object, resulting in an endless stream of mental proliferation. Intention also conditions a person's state of mind, endowing it with particular qualities as positive or negative, virtuous or defiled. 
So when you've got a particular intention or a responsibility, you know, your name is on the uh, on the list as head cook tomorrow, or you've uh, you're supposed to be um, taking care of a new flower bed that uh, needs serious attention. Oh, what am I going to do about that? Or uh, uh, who's going to be helping, and how's that going to work? And uh, so that the um, the the mind takes hold of a particular idea or have an intention, and you know, off it off it goes to create proliferations around that. Three consciousness conditions mind and body. Vijnana, pachaya, nama rupa. Consciousness is accompanied by corresponding physical and mental attributes. Consciousness functions in conjunction with physical and mental factors such as bodily organs, sensation, perception, volitional formations. Moreover, in whatever way consciousness has been conditioned, the the accompanying physical and mental factors function in concert with this consciousness. For example, when consciousness has been conditioned by angry volitional formations, accompanying perceptions are associated with coarse language, insults and violence. So if if you're on the list to work with somebody that you had a clash with, then when I'm working with him, I'm going to let him know that he shouldn't do it this way, he should do it that way, because he keeps doing it wrong, and I need to tell him. That's uh, the kind of uh, angry volitional formations accompanying perceptions are associated with coarse language, insults, and violence, hopefully just in one's imagination, (laughs) that the mind comes up with those, those forms. A person's countenance, that their facial expression will appear sullen, the muscles will be tense, pulse will be will quicken, and he'll feel stressed. When consciousness is repeatedly conditioned in a particular way, a person's mental and physical attributes develop into specific personality traits. So if you tend to be complaining and angry and critical and contentious, then uh, that that's a, 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 a habit that you, you develop a rut in that way, just as if we have a tendency to be, to be kind and friendly and, and caring, then we develop a, a rut in that way. Mind and body conditions the six sense bases. When mind and body has been activated in a particular configuration or direction, it relies upon the support from the sense bases, which supply information or act as channels for behavior. The sense bases are roused to perform their particular duty. 5. The six sense bases condition contact. When the six sense bases exist, contact with and cognition of sense objects is possible. Cognition depends on the individual sense bases, and then six contact conditions feeling. With contact, there must be feeling, either pleasant, painful, or neutral. So that uh, you know, you've got the, this uh, uh, responsibility, or the, the thing that you're planning to do, or you're interested in, and you're thinking about it, and then uh, you're uh, engaging with the, 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 the task by looking at something, or listening to something, or physically uh, picking something up. Um, and then the, the feelings of Vedana that comes with that uh, is a natural result. So, seven, feeling conditions craving. When experiencing a pleasing sense object, a person feels delight. He or she becomes attached to that object and wants more of it. Consequently, there is craving for sense objects, karma tanha. One wishes to maintain or abide in a state where one can further experience the pleasure from that object. There arises the craving for becoming bhava tanha. When experiencing a painful sense object, one feels aversion, one wants to escape from or eliminate it. Consequently, there is craving for extinction, vibhavatana. And when experiencing a neutral object, one is indifferent, indecisive and deluded. The object is experienced as a, as a, uh, a mild form of pleasure, leading to attachment and a desire for more pleasant sensations. So, for example, if uh, what we we're intending to do is to go and sit and uh, meditate in the temple, then um, the, uh, there's the, the intention to, to practice meditation, and, um, and so then the uh, bhava tanha can be, oh, I, I'm, I really want to, to work on my concentration, or I, I need to develop more loving kindness, and so and that's something I really need to do, um, and that, that if I can just develop more of that, then things will be really uh, much more comfortable, pleasant, um, and... Uh, so that's uh, something that's that's worth me me getting me uh, me being more kind, more concentrated, and so that uh, bhavatana is taking hold of that intention or that that plan, and then vibhavatana is oh, my mind is is so busy, I'm full with all this kind of internal chatter. I need to get the, this thinking mind just to be quiet and shut up and stop you know planning my work projects for tomorrow. <laughs> 
or uh, complaining about the people in the next room and uh, reiterating uh, difficult conversations I had earlier today. I need to leave all that aside. I need to wipe that all out, get rid of that chattering mind so that I can concentrate and, and have loving kindness instead. So uh, the uh, <coughs> the habits of bhavatana and vibhavatana are very, very prominent in, in the process of of working uh, the mind, working with the mind in meditation, and so over the years, Lumpur Sumedho spent a huge amount of time uh, focusing on on bhavatanna, vibhavatanna, and how it's it's very very helpful to get to know those tendencies in order to free the mind from those habits in in in, in the uh, uh, in, in the effort in the process of uh, developing the meditation practice. So then, eight. <clears throat> a craving conditions grasping. When desire intensifies, it leads to attachment. This, the desire is lodged in the heart, and a person is unable to let go of it. This gives rise to a to particular behavior in relationship to an object. If one likes the object, one binds oneself to it and submits to it. Whatever is associated with the object is viewed as good. Whatever disturbs it is viewed as disturbing one's self. If one dislikes an object, one feels as if one is encountering an opponent. One feels repulsed by and in conflict with anything associated with this object. One sees nothing redeeming about the object and feels personally offended by it. You know, this thing is in my way. If it wasn't there, then everything will be great. One's behavior, both in relation to pleasing and displeasing objects, reinforces and validates the following four things. One, objects of sensual gratification, karma, which are acquired or lost. Two, Views and understanding of things associated with sense objects, including one's views on life and the world, that's ditti. Practices, rules and customs, silapata, maintained for acquiring and avoiding sense objects. And four, a sense of self, attavada, which acquires things or is impeded. So again, those are the four kinds of upadana, the four kinds of of clinging that uh, he's referred to uh, uh, earlier on. so, Kama Upadana, uh, Dit Upadana, Silabhat Upadana, and Atavad Upadana. Then, grasping conditions becoming. When there is grasping on particular ways of behaving towards objects, people, and states of mind, a person generates a corresponding state of existence, both in regard to general behavior, beginning with patterns of thought, and in regard to personality, which are the mental and physical traits of that person's life at that time. Examples of this are the distinct behavior and personality of people who seek material wealth, people who seek power, people who seek fame, people who seek physical beauty, and people who are antisocial. Uh, ten, becoming conditioned, so that the, the sense of I want to be this thing. He chooses these more kind of, uh, sort of worldly goals. Um, I want to be this um, person who is admired, or a person who is successful, a person who is powerful. I want to be someone substantial or, or significant. I want to be appreciated or uh, acknowledged. I want to be this thing, uh, to be approved of, to be attractive, to be to be liked, or to uh, to have impressive credentials and such like. So, becoming conditions birth with the arising of a personally occupied state of existence. There is a sense of self, a distinct awareness of abiding in or embodying this state of existence. A person believes, for example, that he or she is the owner, the recipient, the agent, the winner, or the loser in this state of existence. Birth conditions aging and death with the arising of a self that occupies a state of existence, so like psychological birth, being born into being the the head cook, or being born into being a good meditator, or being born into a a, um, being a person who is liked and appreciated, or a person who is disliked and not appreciated, <laughs> whatever the, the what psychological birth pattern has occurred, it's natural to experience both growth and decline within that state, including a weakening of one's strength, a buffeting by various forces, and a, and a, a threat of impending loss. In particular, one is anxious about falling away from this state if it's a Pleasant state, you know that uh, what you, you you you've got what you like, you are approved of, or you are comfortable, you are happy, you are healthy. Um, then that threat of impending loss. Particularly, uh, one is anxious about falling away from this state, and one continually tries to preserve it. Such waning of strength and foreboding of death causes constant grief and suffering. So that's a brief explanations of those links, and then. 
the next part he goes into detailed explanations of those same links. He is very thorough. Uh, very. Uh, he doesn't leave um, things to uh, to speculation. And then, uh, and then after this, he goes into even deeper explanations, uh, which is is quite helpful. And eventually, he comes uh, to the point of having some uh, some examples in, in kind of everyday life um, that uh, uh, where he uh, talks about sort of, uh, sort of everyday situations that um, where one can sort of map these particular. Uh, processes. Uh, let's see, uh, somewhere in here. So yeah, so he gives examples from everyday life. So when when we get to that next, probably tomorrow we'll get to that examples from everyday life. And uh, I have a, a unique manuscript to I would like to share with you. Um, so this is to create some Baba so <laughs> anticipation for the future. Uh, in the uh, in the uh, previous uh, edition of this book, uh, I inherited Lumpur Sumato's copy of it in the Kuti where I live, and there's a handwritten um, uh, by Lumpur uh, example. So uh, in um, in the everyday example that uh, the Venerable Paiuto gives here, he has Tom and Ben are students and intimate friends, and goes through a sort of succession of events. Um, describing uh, how dependent origination applies to that, um, so Lumpur has this uh, did this with with, um, and this shows you that how long ago it was with uh, Boris Yeltsin, who was at that point the the uh, the president of, of uh, Russia, um, and Duyadev, who was a, um, uh, a uh, an opponent, <laughs> political opponent. And so Lumpur uses the relationship between those two as a sort of a map for dependent origination. So my plan is to share that all with you. You will be the first other humans who ever has ever been passed on to. So to create some anticipation. <laughs> There's an anticipation test. Can you can you be equanimous with that? But uh, yeah, so it's there in the back of the book in a handwritten set of notes at Lumpur, and I thought, oh, that's great. That'll be a good opportunity to share that. And I suspect that the, he just wrote it out for himself to kind of. Work with those ideas and principles, and using a political situation of, of that time as a, a way of uh, of exploring that. So I thought it would be interesting to share with with, uh, with all of you. Uh, but that's not today; that's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any questions or thoughts on on those? Um, him defining those those links. Um, how one thing leads to another. Also, I think back to it's good to bear in mind that Lumpur Chah's comment of. Uh, all these twelve links is like falling out of a tree and, and counting the branches on the way down. It's like this, even though this is sort of quite a technical uh, explanation. You know, it can all be happening in a in a flash. From oh, I've got to be head cook tomorrow, and the whole thing is is there, and we're within less than a second. You're at the Sokopari Deva Dukkha Dhammanasu Payasa. Fun. <laughs> so that. Uh, it's spelled out in some detail, but uh, it's also helpful to bear in mind that these processes happen incredibly fast in in, uh, in many circumstances in our lives. But uh, this is like slowing you know slowing the film down and watching the sort of frame by frame uh, process of how these attitudes get formed and and how we find ourselves in these situations of you know being excited and then being disappointed or being irritated and, and then uh, anxious about a, a clash and and so on and so forth. Um, so, any, any questions, thoughts? Getting on for seven already. So. Please. Yes, Elinora. Mm-hmm. Duration, compression, mm-hmm. ignition, expansion, discharge. 
when you look into it more in detail and study the thermodynamics and whatever energy that is connected with it is actually extremely complex. Fact is that if you one goes into the extreme detail of it, either if you are uh, designing or building an engine, uh, but if you have to drive a car, all that you have to know is fill the tank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, okay, Buddha had to build, uh, design, build the, 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 the car, the vehicle, in this mm -hmm. case. But we have to drive the car. So, which, what can be the figure tank, terminal uh, key of the planet's origination? The, uh, if there's clinging, it'll lead to suffering. When the clinging stops, the suffering stops. It's like, you don't even need a key nowadays, you just push a button. <laughs> so yeah, it's exactly that way. And it's, a, you know, the, uh, the whole process is extraordinarily complex. I mean, this going through the, the details of it, it's rather like, okay, um, this is your engine. And, uh, you know, nowadays people can't even open up their cars. It's all done by computers and such like so that they, uh, and in some some vehicles, you're not even allowed. It's like breaking the law to open the engine up. Uh, farm vehicles, in particular, that uh, uh, you know, you're not allowed to fix your own tractor. Um, but uh, the uh, essentially, it's a, a bit of a, a user's manual. Uh, this is what's uh, this is what's happening. These are the things you need to adjust. You know, make sure that the spark plugs are clean, or make sure that the you know, back in the days when you could set the timing on your <laughs> on your own engine. Okay. That this this is uh, th these things need to be uh, aligned, and this is how you do it. But uh, yeah, and, and it's uh, I think it's a good example of an internal combustion engine. You know how those things work. It's it's extraordinarily complicated, and and you know, really hard to define. The more detailed you get, the harder to define it is. And it's, I remember reading somewhere um, that. Uh, Werner Heisenberg, uh, he said, if you take, um, he was talking about turbulence. He said, if you take one cubic centimeter of water, and uh, and uh, you and it moves through one centimeter, you could spend the rest of your life writing equations to describe exactly what happens to the the, the water molecules just within one cc of water. It's so complicated, the the way that the fluids move. And so you literally you could spend you know fifty years writing equations to describe exactly what's happening, how all the water molecules are moving in relationship to each other, how the the viscosity and the vortices that, that take shape in one cc of water. And then he says, and then I look out over the lake, you know, kind of near where his lab was, and it's like, <laughs> you know, the the ripples are you know flowing one way from the the from the wind, and then uh, the flowing and across another another set of ripples flowing across them because of some boat that's gone by and some you know, birds that are landing on the water. And he says, it's you know to to explain how how the um, um, the the movement of of, uh, of energy through water and how how just water moves it's absolutely impossible to describe but yeah <laughs> we live in this world and we we uh, uh, that if you try to define every detail it's absolutely impossible to do but you don't really need to and that uh, that I feel is one of the the, the part the aspects of the Buddha's uh, extraordinary wisdom his great genius was that he realized you don't have to write an equation for everything that's happening in the in a cc of water you don't have to Define all the detail. What you need to know is if there's <laughs> if there's ignorance and 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 craving and clinging, dukkha will be result will, will be the result. If there's no ignorance, there's no craving, there's no clinging, then dukkha stops. That's the rest is gravy, as they say. You know, the rest is extra. It can be helpful to have a sense of how it, how it operates um, to to be uh, sort of. Through knowing how the process works, you can help to set conditions in place that, so that you can maximize the potential for, for happiness and freedom, and you can minimize the potential for for dukkha. Um, but if you spend your time trying to write those thousands of equations for 
<laughs> what happens in a uh, in a little blob of water. You know, the, as uh, the, when the Buddha was giving the example to uh, to Malunkya Putta, um, Malunkya Putta wanted these answers to all these large number of philosophical questions. And the Buddha said, "Yeah, imagine there's somebody, a, a soldier, shot on a battlefield, and the field surgeon comes along and is." Just about to take the arrow out of the of this soldier, and the soldier says, "Now you can't take the arrow out until you find out the the name of the person who shot me, and the the, the village that he came from, and the, where the district where that village is, and who his mother and father are, and whose grandparents are, and then I need to know the kind of wood that the arrow is made from. The kind of uh, is it you know is it uh, ash or is it oak or is it the kind of arrowhead? What's what shape the arrowhead is? What bird the feathers came from? That are in the the, the and he said, by the time that the person had answered all those questions, you know, the, the soldier would have died. <laughs> so, and it, that's a, a, a very well-known example. It's like, you don't need to know all that stuff. That's, the point is, pull the arrow out. That's, that's the, uh, the main thing. And that uh, the details of where the arrow came from, what the sinews are that the arrowhead is bound on with, what, the, what kind of bird the feathers came from. It's like, you don't need to know that. <laughs> and that... Uh, that, that you've been shot, get the arrow out, and then the, the wound can be treated. That's the, the main thing. So I think that's enough for today. Mm-hmm.